and welcome back to Lights, Camera, Analysis. I have known this week's guest for almost a third of my life. She is an expert in making the complex comprehensible. She completed her bachelor's in English in 2019, completes her master's in English this spring, and starts her, her PhD in the fall. She currently runs her own educational podcast, Sister Untold. Please welcome Sabrina Yates. Hey, Sabrina. Hi. Oh my gosh, I'm smiling so hard at the like, makes the complex comprehensible. That is literally what I thankful. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, hi. Hi, all of your listeners too. It's so nice to get on here. So today we are navigating the feminist anti-hero Amy and Gone Girl. We will be tackling questions like, are you supposed to like her? What myths does the film rupture and what myths does the film perpetuate? So if you have not yet seen one of the most effective and evil women in film, warning, spoilers ahead. Trigger warning for violence against women and sexual violence. So Amy is the main character in Gone Girl, which was a book published back in 2012 and then a film released in 2014. The book was written by a woman and the film was directed by a man. The story seems familiar at first. A pretty young white woman goes missing and every single clue points to her cheating husband as the likely killer. Sabrina, when you first started Gone Girl, what did you suspect happened? Um, I think I, when I first, first saw it, like, cause I rewatched it for this podcast and obviously I knew it was gonna happen. But when I first, first saw it, I think, yeah, I probably thought that he was like, had this whole like double life of being like super evil. Cause there's also like, he we find out like pretty early on that he's like been cheating on his wife and it's just like not a good person and like also we have all these little like journal entries of her being like oh like my husband is like trying to kill me and so my instinct was like to believe her um yeah yeah i felt exactly the same way i think especially as a feminist the ideas of like believe women definitely mm-hmm. were coursing through me at the beginning of this i was like well obviously he murdered her mm-hmm. but One of the most famous scenes in the film, often pointed to as the feminist underbelly of the film, is the cool girl commentary. Amy tells the viewers, men always say that as the defining compliment, don't they? She's a cool girl. Being the cool girl means I am hot, brilliant, funny woman who adores football, poker, dirty jokes, and burping, who plays video games, drinks cheap beer, loves threesomes, etc. And cool girls never get angry. They only smile in chagrin, loving manner. Let their men do whatever they want. I'm the cool girl. And men actually think this girl exists. Maybe they're fooled because so many women are willing to pretend to be this girl. For a long time, cool girl offended me. I used to see men, friends, coworkers, strangers, giddy over these awful pretender women. And I'd want to sit these men down and calmly say, you're not dating a woman. You are dating a woman who has watched too many movies written by socially awkward men who'd like to believe that this kind of woman exists and might kiss him. I'd want to grab the poor guy by his lapels or messenger bag and say, that bee doesn't really love chili dogs that much. No one loves chili dogs that much. (laughs) And the cool girls are even more pathetic. They're not even pretending to be the woman they want to be. They're pretending to be the woman a man wants them to be. Oh, and if you're not a cool girl, I beg you not to believe that your man doesn't want the cool girl. It may be a slightly different version. Maybe he's a vegetarian, so cool girl loves Satan and is great with dogs. Or maybe he's a hipster artist, so cool girl is tattooed, a spectacle nerd who loves comics. Oh my gosh, dogs, please stop. 
<laughs> do you love satan and are great with dogs are you a cool girl obviously not um, <laughs> so i know that going into freshman year of college i aspired to be a cross between the cool girl and a manic pixie dream girl i wanted to be the chill girl who could hang like amy says i wanted to be endearingly hot brilliant and funny and be able to join for a burping contest as easily as poker or dirty jokes I think the line that resonated with me the most from the monologue is cool girls never get angry. They only smile in a chagrined, loving manner and let their men do whatever they want. As someone who actively desired likability, I didn't let myself be angry. But like Amy says, being this person is impossible and unhealthy in life and in a relationship. What from the cool girl speech resonates with you? Well, I think I'm coming at this from like a really different perspective because I never wanted to be a cool girl. Like, I guess I kind of wanted to be a hipster. I definitely wanted to be a hipster really badly in high school, but that's such a different thing. Hipsters are kind of like in their own world, whereas like cool girls are like actively mainstream. Um, And I'm just like such a feminine girl, like a girly girl, you know? Mm -hmm. And so a lot of these things like never really appealed to me, I guess. I, I don't know, like, this I don't know this speech always makes me kind of cringe like and I think it's interesting you say it's like the feminist underbelly of it because there are definitely like feminist elements but it's also like one of those things that I've been seeing which is like oh like girls hating on girls who hate Mm -hmm. girls but I'm just like yes like it's not good to hate girls but like now you're hating the girls who hate girls so now you're one of the girls who hates girls Mm -hmm. and I'm just like why are we all making fun of each other (laughs) like it's in the same cycle of yeah women instead of exactly like, and they're like oh them. yeah they're like oh like these like pick me girls or like the like chill girl the like boys girl like those kind of tropes they're like making fun of and i do those think those tropes are like harmful and like make women uh, strive to be what men want them to be but like now everyone's just playing into it and i'm just like we're just doing it again so that's a tangent but all that's of that cool to say. Girl's fault. <laughs> it's the man's fault for creating the cool girl. yes yes for sure um and yeah I don't know I just I don't think I I think there's definitely like a part of me that wants to be like you said like likable but I don't think I ever aspired to be the cool girl but that's probably because I grew up watching like mermaid shows and like Disney princess movies and not like (laughs) things written by like lonely men (laughs) who like want to like imagine the perfect girl burping and stuff so. <laughs> and you're yeah. into older literature where yeah, yes. the ideal woman is not the cool girl. Yeah, the ideal woman is swooning every time she stands up. So, yeah. <laughs> so, in a commentary... Sorry, I'm going to move again because it was too loud with the dog. No worries. Um, so, in Salon, the magazine's... Um, Mary Elizabeth Williams, who is a journalist with Salon, actually considered this commentary a biting, accurate, and important depiction of the way that men force women to act. So in her article, she writes, Amy damns both her husband's gender and her own, reflecting, men actually think this girl exists. Maybe they're fooled because so many women are willing to pretend to be this girl. And after she describes with deadly accuracy the various iterations the cool girl can take, all distilled down to the girl who likes everything he likes and doesn't even complain with just a few short paragraphs.
Have you ever felt uncomfortable walking alone or speaking to someone you didn't know? So have I. My name is Quinn. I'm one of the founders of Flare. We make safety bracelets with technology and an app to help you discreetly get out of a situation or call for backup from friends or 911. I'm a survivor, and frankly, these bracelets shouldn't have to exist. We need real cultural change to tackle this problem. But in the meantime, be prepared. Visit getflare.com, F-L-A-R-E, to check out all of our styles. So, okay, <laughs> Mary Elizabeth Williams kind of had the opposite take. She felt that Amy is damning her husband's entire gender rather than the women. He think- She thinks that men are being fooled into believing women are like this, but women know better. Women are actively choosing to pretend to be like this if they want to be able to not be like other girls. Mm. And men are the reason women are forced into that role by porn and a culture that values women who are not like other girls and who hate on other women. So Mary Elizabeth Williams thinks that it gave a name to a smothering invisible force and that that is part of why Amy's monologue became so iconic, sparking Mm. a deluge of hot takes in its wake. She says, and I quote, was it a feminist rallying cry or or the manifesto of a monster? Why not both? Mm-hmm. And I think what kind of stuck to me with that question is why not both? Mm-hmm. And I wonder if it can be both. I think that's a lot of how I feel watching this film is can she be a feminist rallying cry and be giving us the manifesto of a monster? I have trouble holding both of those at the mm-hmm. same time with this film. What about you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think, yeah, I think this... I. I think this speech does more good in pointing out this problem than it does bad in blaming women, if that makes sense. And I also think like the best villain speeches, in my opinion, always make you believe them and like have like a like a really good logic to them. Um, there's a speech I'm obsessed with from um, the show called Years and Years, where it takes place like in the near near distant future, but like or like the near future and it's basically a speech advocating to create concentration camps and it's like horrific to watch it but like the person speaking is like so like eloquent and logical and it's like what's a concentration it just means a group of people like and like breaks it down and then like the people in the scene are like nodding like oh wow like I didn't really like and it just like it's the most horrible thing you could ever watch like seeing like like history repeat itself but like the speech is like so well done and like logical and like obviously like that's a very different example because like it's advocating for something evil and this is advocating but yeah so it I think like it's a, like it's, a modest proposal where it's like yeah you can use exactly. incredibly sound logic for something and it can be separate from the person writing it mm-hmm. yeah and There's so yeah like I think it's like a, a good manifesto good coming from a monster yeah exactly okay that does help me hold both pieces in my mind because we are about to transition over to that monster side Mm -hmm. and more largely what that monster side says about women and how it perpetuates the myth of the faker. So I'm going to start by front-loading a few statistics for us. Every 16 hours, a woman is shot dead by her current or former partner. Oh my gosh. 
The World Health Organization's research indicates that 27% of women aged 15 to 49, which includes Amy, who have been in a relationship, report that they have been subjected to some sort of physical and or sexual violence by an intimate partner. So that's almost, that's between a quarter and a third. Mm-hmm. About nine, And it's definitely more than that because not everyone can recognize when something's abusive, I feel like. Yeah, exactly. And it because this is an anonymous survey mm-hmm. as well, it shouldn't be... Um, yeah, exactly. It, there is under-reporting, but someone's not going to bother lying because there's no yeah. reason for anyone to even assume that there would be a lie there. Mm-hmm. About 99% of intimate partner violence against women was committed by men. Um, a much smaller amount of uh, partner violence against men is committed by women. Mm. In 2007, intimate partners uh, committed 14% of all homicides in the United States. Females made up 70% of victims killed by an intimate partner, which is twice the rate of men. Women are generally murdered by people they know, and 24% of women killed in homicides are killed by a spouse or an ex-spouse with 21% killed by a boyfriend or girlfriend. So that means that if we were to be in a situation with someone like Amy, where she's disappeared, her husband would be incredibly suspect Mm -hmm. because there is almost a 50% chance that he's the one who killed her, statistically speaking. Mm -hmm. By comparison, men are more likely to be killed by strangers and have only a 2% chance of being killed by a spouse or ex-spouse or a 3% chance of being killed by a boyfriend or a girlfriend. So this is a very gendered problem as well. Mm-hmm. Amy plans to profit off of the fact that many women are abused or killed by their spouses. She does this by fabricating hundreds of diary entries, insincerely befriending a woman she hates, lying for months about her husband's violent temper, faking a pregnancy, committing identity fraud, convincing her husband to bump up her life insurance, convincing him to go somewhere without an alibi on the morning of her disappearance, draining so much of her blood and spilling it, hitting her own face with a hammer and scarring her own wrists. She also leaves behind her family, friends, career, and money instead of committing to a, instead committing to a life in hiding. Is this believable? Sabrina. And if it is, what does it make us think about our current system and current accusations against men for domestic violence and abuse? I mean, I don't think it's believable when you list all of those things she did, like the lengths to which she went, like, because I don't think someone of like, quote unquote, sound mind would do this, Mm -hmm. but you have to be a really, I guess, well, I guess she's a a sociopath, right? Like we're thinking she's a sociopath. So I guess that is like, someone who could do something like this so I guess it's possible in that way but I guess like what this makes me think of more is that just like how much you have to do to like convince people that your husband would kill you Mm -hmm. because like even though like the numbers show that like 50% of like homicides against women roughly are like committed by intimate partners it's like people you still have to do like all of these crazy steps to like make people believe it Mm-hmm. Even though obviously in this case it didn't happen, but it's like if it had happened and she, she would hadn't so much done, evidence. yeah, like and she hadn't bumped up her life insurance, she hadn't faked, she hadn't been pregnant, like all of these things. It's like would people even believe her? Like believe that he killed her? Or like do people just really want to uphold this image of like oh like white men do no harm kind of thing? I don't know. So, and I think the other piece that struck me here was rewatching the film. She starts out trying to spell out the domestic abuse at home with him pushing her 
mm-hmm. and then comforting her. And I think they dramatize it in the film to make it seem as if everyone would accept the fact that this is a domestic violence and this is what abuse looks like and starts like. Mm-hmm. But I wonder how much does it actually take for someone to accept their abuser's fault and like mm-hmm. not blame themselves, even in writing. Like if, if this was a real domestic abuse victim, would she be writing it the way that she is writing it on the page in this journal entry? Like, how does this compare to the actual experience mm-hmm. of victims? Because I think in general, victims and survivors are more likely to need support to be able to accept the fact that it's not their fault, yeah. to be able to leave their abuser, to be able to like, name that something wrong has been done to them Mm -hmm. and this film kind of does the opposite of that in acting as if like you can fabricate someone pushing you and everyone's going to believe you're abused Mm -hmm. yeah that's true yeah it kind of like minimizes it a little bit or something amy also fakes her own sexual assault for the fact uh, for the sake of direct relevance to this film we'll discuss um exclusively women assaulted by men from here on out but know that the rates in men are both high and underreported. So every 73 seconds, an American is sexually assaulted. At least one in six women have been the victim of attempted or completed rape in their lives, including um, many women who get date raped or sexually assaulted while in a relationship. The majority of sexual assault victims are under 30 with 54% of victims age 18 to 34, which is around Amy's age when they experience sexual assault. Suspects often do not fit our stereotype of rapist as is normally portrayed in films. 33% of rapes are committed by a current or former spouse, partner, um, or yeah, ex-partner. And these perpetrators are usually white, 57%. So statistically speaking, Amy's husband really does fit the profile of what many rapists actually are in our society. And most sexual assaults are perpetuated are perpetrated by someone known to the victim without a weapon, physical violence, or signs of physical injury. Mm. Assaulters rarely get punished for their crimes. For every 1,000 sexual assaults, about 230 are reported. Only 46 lead to arrests, and nine of those 1,000 get referred to prosecutors. About five of every 1,000 get convicted of as a felony and only 4.6 of those five are incarcerated that's so crazy do not lie about sexual assault either on the opposite end of the spectrum it's this super common thing current statistics including through the minnesota law review the university of massachusetts the making of a difference project the victoria police and the british home office find that somewhere between two and eight percent of rape claims are false so it is largely agreed upon that 92 to 98 percent of sexual assault allegations of a non-stranger are reputable. And yet there is a prolific myth that survivors lie about being sexually assaulted. So we've known Amy since even before Gone Girl existed because Amy is the boogeyman invoked in every comment section under every news article. You have seen it if you have ever looked up an article about a sexual assaulter or a rape allegation. In every legal defense for a nice guy who could possibly have done what he has accused of, there are always comments made that are kind of exactly what Amy says. Sometimes to be sure she is real, false accusations do happen according to Mashable, though they are vanishingly rare, like killer clowns or satanic cults 
or axe-wielding hillbilly murderers in the woods, this is a monster that looms far larger in our culture's imagination than she ever will in our reality. So, what do you think her faking of rape multiple times, both with her ex-boyfriend in the past and then vividly for us in the film, does for viewers' perceptions of rape allegations? I mean, I think it's really damaging. I'm just looking up when the Me Too movement started, because I think this was like a couple years before, right? Yeah, definitely. Um, And so, yeah, I feel like having this happen before that and before like the Kavanaugh trials and like all this thing, like, because this was like a wildly popular movie because so many people like, I love like Rosamund Pike and like that's the actress, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and like it has like a lot of famous people. I feel like a lot of people watch this movie and then they'll kind of think like, oh my gosh, like women. It's like we've already always said women are crazy, but it's like mm-hmm. that's like your most like before the Me Too movement. I feel like in our generation at least, this is like this movie is like the most like prominent display of rape, like and sexual assault, right? Like represented yeah. in the media. And then like then like a few years later we have like all of these people like coming out hashtag me too and stuff but then like of course the people in the back of their mind have this movie of like the most like heinous crime of this woman like lying in a super public way about like really horrible like like both violence like domestic violence and rape um like that's their memory of it like i feel like that's gonna kind of mess up people when they do hear like real victims talking yeah, I think especially like some of the common excuses for lying about sexual assault include that a woman wants to ruin a man's life and sees mm-hmm. this as a perfect form of revenge. A mm-hmm. woman has regrets for having sex with a man consensually, so she wants to pretend that she didn't consent. A woman wants to protect her reputation when her sexual encounters come to light, or that woman wants attention. And Gone Girl kind of reinforces all of those ideas. Yeah. And I feel like I've had people be like, no, this is doable because like we've seen Gone Girl, you know, like somebody can mm-hmm. do this. Mm-hmm. And it, it's kind of like if you spell out all of the things she had to do to fake first her death and then each of the rapes, it's like mm-hmm. what, to, what people are going to go to that extent to yeah. lose the inside of their vagina, have sex with the person and murder them while they're on top of them and then yeah. go get a full rape kit done and testify like Mm-hmm. It sounds ridiculous, but people buy it. Yeah. Yeah, I think especially because, like, with the the rape that, ha- like, she alleges that happened with that, like, rich guy who's obsessed with her. Mm-hmm. Like, it is, like, he's, like, a powerful, like, wealthy man. Like, these are the people, like, they're afraid of getting taken down by, like, women's false accusations and stuff. And so I think that just, like, definitely reinforces that myth. Yeah, I didn't even think of that part, too. It's like he is this wealthy, popular white guy. People love that actor. Mm-hmm. So he, it's not super believable that she would just be believed inherently. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. But I guess she is like, like, we, our society kind of views like white women as like the most delicate and like vulnerable mm-hmm. creatures. So I guess like there is like in that way, like because she killed yeah. him too, right? You'll think yeah. like she wouldn't do that. She can't be a monster. Like she's an angel. Like so she wouldn't yeah. kill him unless she was like in like super a lot of danger. Oh, that's true. The like the myth of the like delicate white woman, she wouldn't be able to do this unless she really yeah. wanted to do. And I guess it also reinforces the narrative of 
if you can fight back, like you will, you'll be successful. Oh, I know, yeah. Where it's like, no, of course she was able to to not be raped. She killed him. Yeah, to be kidnapped and then like, you know, like forced to be like raped multiple times and then be able to like fight your way out of it. That's like completely like, unrealistic. Yeah. And then, yeah. of course, in the end, she pretends she's totally fine with her husband and her baby, mm-hmm. as if that's how emotionally sound someone's going to be after the experience she pretended yeah. to have. Um, yeah. I also wanted to point to a really interesting breakdown I saw by an FBI veteran. When mm-hmm. she examines Gone Girl, she said that Amy Dunn, after supposedly being raped and tortured, acted in ways that an FBI profiler would actually have found suspicious right mm-hmm. off the bat. The most suspicious thing she does is that instead of reaching for the phone the way that you would think she should do if she's not done anything that she thinks is wrong, mm-hmm. it's like she just leaves. She gets in a car and drives home covered in blood. She doesn't feel the need to wash it off before being investigated. Mm-hmm. She feels totally comfortable staying in that blood, in the clothes that she was supposedly being trapped and assaulted in. Mm-hmm. When that is not generally what happens. Mm-hmm. Um, then she goes to be inter- interrogated and sits through the entire thing calmly answering questions. And a normal victim generally cannot, especially covered in their blood. They would be screaming to be able to get dressed, like that it mm-hmm. would be a really uncomfortable situation, but mm-hmm. she is cool, calm, and collected, which does not seem like the way someone would be after they have been tied up, assaulted, and killed somebody that they didn't want yeah. to. Yeah. Because a normal person, when they murder someone, even in self-defense, is not then totally calm. Mm-hmm. Um, also, really good crime scene analysis apparently would have revealed a little bit of a problem with her story. Um, primarily in the fact that if she was tied up all the time, how did she get the box cutter? Yeah. And it continues to perpetuate the story. The fact that that wasn't question makes it seem like, oh no, it totally would be doable for a victim in this scenario to be able to get a box cutter and protect herself. Mm-hmm. But in a situation like this actually the only reason she's able to do it is because she can go about the house as she pleases and she's faking Mm -hmm. it Mm -hmm. so the many contradictions here the fbi agent says that in her vanity fair interview this would not have been an open and shut case but i think you've also raised the point that actually it's very possible someone would look at her and be like oh she's beautiful and innocent she's been assaulted in the past when they look at her record um she was in an abusive relationship with the other leading man obviously this was an act like not her fault Mm -hmm. um and i do think that like circumstantially that in this situation it's totally possible she would get away with it because yeah and i don't mean to say that like ours like obviously like there's a lot of like white privilege so a lot of like white women who are silenced and like gaslit and like Mm -hmm. victim blamed and like all of those things but i think in like the realm of hollywood there's still like a connotation with like whiteness and like innocence really strongly and so it makes sense that like the director would like not think this is like completely like a fallible kind Mm -hmm. of plot line do you know what I mean but in real life I don't know what would happen yeah but I think that makes sense where it's like the they are also creating the the fairy tale idea that women are believed Mm -hmm. and they're playing against like I feel like the shock value of it is supposed to be that we are supposed to believe her Mm-hmm. And then, because if you don't believe her at the very beginning, there's no twist. Yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, I do wonder, like, what some men who watch this movie for the first time, like, would think. 
before she, the, the truth the truth is revealed. Like, do they believe her or not? So, I also wanted to touch on the fact that she fakes the violence of the assault. Because mm-hmm. um, one of the interesting things that I had found as well is in false reports of sexual assault, they're actually more likely to fake that violence or lie about fighting back because it's the, there's the expectation that if you are being raped or sexually assaulted, that you are supposed to fight back or it's not assault. Mm-hmm. And like in reality, the ways that people are assaulted and raped tend not to fit the cinematic idea of like a stranger finds you and attacks you. Yeah. You violently fight back. Uh, kind of like there, there is the idea of what an assault is. Mm-hmm. And the very few false allegations tend to actually match the idea of what an assault is quote-unquote supposed to look like Mm -hmm. um, compared to in real allegations and real reports people tend to not be assaulted with uh, with violence or with um, weapons in hand so that's actually like another one red flag here to the fact that like this might have been faked but Mm -hmm. It's another, like, nod to the fact that, like, the viewer would be like, oh, of course she needs to do that to make it seem like she fought back. Mm-hmm. Where, yeah. like, it's it's playing into our expectations, but it's also playing out of reality. Yeah. Hmm. So, that's all to say, she may have gotten caught for this fake assault and successful murder. What do you think this film teaches its viewers when it tells us that she does not get caught? I guess it kind of makes you suspicious of women in general. It's like, oh, there's these women like walking around in the streets who have like killed men and gotten away with it. And it's like, you know, kind of makes women seem like sneaky and dangerous and mistrust, mistrustful, like, you know, and like definitely in terms of like sexual violence and violence in general, it's like you can't trust them kind of thing. And then I think the final piece that Amy fakes is she fakes her own pregnancy mm-hmm. and so Gone Girl is perpetuating the myth of the girl who gets pregnant to hold on to a guy mm-hmm. she fakes her pregnancy by going to the extreme extent of emptying her toilet of water, inviting over a pregnant woman, plying her with lemonade and then collecting that urine to get a positive pregnancy test included in her medical history, which is like kind of insane Mm-hmm. But this is a really common fear, the fear that a woman will get pregnant to keep you. And when Mm -hmm. I was trying to look up statistics on this, it's very difficult to find the statistics on if this happens, how often this happens. But there are a lot of articles from men in fear and for women who are considering it. Like I found articles that read, eat red flags, the pregnancy is a trap. And how to trap a man with pregnancy 101 or getting pregnant to keep him. Mm-hmm. And those are real articles. These are real. Like, there are so many. And I was shocked because I was like, a woman would never do that. But I was wondering your thoughts. Like, do women do this? Why do people think this is okay? Why are men scared of this? Um, I mean, I've joked with my friends because, like, if you have a baby, then you get, like, child support. And so we're like, oh, let's have a baby with a billionaire. And then you get, like, 20% of his income or whatever for 18 years. A baby's not going to use that much money. 
I get a bunch of money. That seems like a good scheme to me. But I'm not actually like reading these articles and like going and getting pregnant, like planning it out. <laughs> yeah. So it's definitely like I think a thought that has crossed in my anecdotal personal experience, like a lot of women's mind. And so, but I just didn't know it was like a real thing that people are like writing like blogs about. So, yeah, it's really reading. wild. And it's I, one of the articles that I ended up reading by Salon's Tracy Kwan says, "These days, when a man blames a woman for getting pregnant, he's likely to be dismissed as a deadbeat dad." And that's because prom- it, prominent among the men who accuse women of tricking them into fatherhood are athletes and other celebrities who ignore their own kids while seeking to discredit the mothers who raise them. Mm. So it is really difficult for people to tell the difference between a woman who got pregnant to trap a man versus a man who is not taking responsibility for his child. Yeah, because it's, like, clearly, like, there's two sides to this. There's, like, the men who are, like, looking, writing articles about, like, red flags of pregnancy as a trap and, like, are, like, super ultra paranoid about this. And then there's also women who are trying to trap men with pregnancy. So everyone's kind of in the wrong here, I feel like. And I feel like the difficulty for the risk for women here is if you get pregnant intentionally, you don't know that he's really going to be able to pay his child support. Yeah. If you're not married to that billionaire. And if you're married to that billionaire, he might be able to hire really good lawyers. Yeah, exactly. To get him out of child support. Mm-hmm. Um, but the argument from women, apparently, is that Tracy Kwan says a woman she knows was told by her mother that men are never ready for babies. So mm-hmm. women have to decide when they're ready for a baby. Oh, gosh. Which, so it comes from, like, a different kind of sexism about how men don't care about kids. So you have to take control of the family as a mm-hmm. woman. And how we, like, infantilize men in some ways. And they're like, oh, boys will be boys. Mm-hmm. Like, he's just going to have fun his whole life, you know? It's like, no. Like, maybe he will want to have a baby one day. And you guys should probably talk about that. Yeah. And if he doesn't, he probably shouldn't. Yeah. <laughs> um, I also wanted to just name the fact that this, like, lying about contraceptives is a form of sexual assault. It's mm-hmm. coercive and, like, deeply messed up. So, mm-hmm. listeners, like, don't do that. It can mess with someone's relationship with their sexuality and their future mm-hmm. partner. Yeah. Yeah, so it's like real bad. But I mostly just wanted to get us to our final question. After all of this, is Amy likable? Is she something women aspire to be like? Is she the cathartic? Is she a feminist? Like, what can we walk away thinking about Amy? Well, yeah, that's something ever since your first intro to this was like you said something about her being a feminist and or this movie being feminist. And I just don't think it is at all. So I am curious about like why you say that. Like, so a lot of the commentaries that I have read that are super pro this movie say, okay, she's questioning expectations of women. She's challenging the fact that this man thinks that he can force her to one first be the cool girl and then after they're together to um, continue to spend her trust fund and her money on whatever he wants and mm-hmm. then leave her for a younger woman and continue mm-hmm. to use her in his in her words use her for sex and leave when he's done with her mm-hmm. and that she is weaponizing the things that men have weaponized against women historically such as mm-hmm. sex, uh, men sexual assault of women abusive women Mm. Um, emotional abuse of women yeah, in pregnancy. That is, yeah, that's a good point. And I think it's also important to remember for myself too that like this movie isn't about a girl who fakes rape. Like, because like 
I feel like that was my memory of the movie was just like that scene of her like you know like intentionally like hurting herself yeah. so that she could do it. but like that is one scene in the whole movie like that's not really like the point of the movie and I think like saying it that way of like she's like weaponizing like the things like men have used to hurt women in the past to like get back at a man I think like that's like a really good point and like also that her goal wasn't to do this like that was like the like kind of like her like new plan because she like tried to go live like alone like an isolated chill life and then like she was like taken advantage of by people she let get close to her and like so yeah I feel like we spent a lot of time talking about her like how about this movie perpetuating the myth and like if that was the goal of the movie it's aggressively anti-feminist because it's so harmful but that's not the goal of the movie that's just like what I latched on to and what I think a lot of people latched on to. Yeah, so, so much of it is Because it's the most also, jarring. Yeah. She's so smart. She's so incredibly mm-hmm. smart and powerful. And I always have trouble seeing a woman who is smart and powerful but not liking her because I don't want to dislike a woman who is smart and mm-hmm. powerful because I want to support smart and powerful women. Mm-hmm. And I find that super difficult, but some people didn't dislike that. Some people were like, I can still like her. Mm-hmm. because she I is think, smart and powerful and weaponizing these forces that have been used against women. Yeah. But I think, like, this movie isn't trying to make a likable person. Yeah. Like, the whole point of her, like, major speech is that, like, these girls want to be liked, these cool girls want to be liked mm-hmm. so badly that they, like, lose themselves. And, like, she's not trying to be liked. She, like, dyes her hair in ugly color and she, like, yeah. takes all of her makeup and, like, goes and lives in, like, a, like, kind of what are those called like a motel you know like she's not trying to be like she's done the glamour she's done the beauty like it didn't serve her she's ready to do what she wants to do yeah and like kind of like remove herself from like the system that like tries to force girls to be likable at any cost so maybe if she ended there if she didn't come back and try Mm -hmm. to get her man back yeah I think I could really jive with it yeah, but I do exactly. love the idea of like ending with her at that motel and it's like she's not doing the opposite of being the cool girl in some mm-hmm. ways she is by like her huge reactions to things but she's not actively combating the system by being the opposite of everything she's just being like I don't want to have to fit that mold anymore mm-hmm. so it's almost like if you cut the film in the motel before mm-hmm. she makes the rape and before she goes back to her husband it is this really cool film about faking your own murder to get back at your husband who made you feel awful and then exiting. Stay yeah. Trapped. Yeah. Which, yeah, I don't think the movie would be good <laughs> if that's what happened because that's even less believable in some ways that, like, this girl who grew up, like, super wealthy and privileged could go, like, live off of, like, just the cash she has and, like, live like that for the rest of her life. Like, I think she would miss her old lifestyle and her friends and her family and like all of that a lot but it wouldn't have as many of the like problems that we see in it now for sure well thank you so much for speaking with us today sabrina i'm like still lost in my feels with this now very (laughs) different thoughts about her than i did at the beginning of this discussion um and that's all for now on lights camera analysis